You're listening to Man Meat Barbecue, the podcast, with your host, Mikey K. Our sponsors are Manbecue and Myron Mix and Smokers. If you don't know who Manbecue is, you better check it out. They're one of the coolest things in barbecue around. We do a meetup on the last Thursday of every single month. Let us take over your backyard. Let's see how much fun we can have. Looking for a new cooker? Look no further than the American-made Myron Mix and Smokers. Maybe you're a backyard enthusiast. Maybe you're a restaurant owner. Maybe you're looking to get into the catering game. They can accommodate it all. So make sure you go over to MyronMixAndSmokers.com and check out your next rig. And when you email them, tell them Mikey from Man Meat Barbecue sent you. So let's not waste any more time and let's get into this fucking podcast. What is up, guys? We are um, coming to you on this lovely Thursday with the founder of something that's called Crowd Cow. If you've never heard of it, it is one of the, I, I guess it's kind of like the online butcher shop, which, I mean, you have some of those already, like your, your Snake River Farms and your stuff like that, but <clears throat> Crowd Cow's a little bit different, and um, I'm going to let Joe explain to you what you're getting with them. It's a, it, it's a way different process than just going to your regular online butcher shop, which is what I think is really cool about it. And their product is, I mean, it's fantastic. So don't hesitate. Joe, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the company? Sure. Yeah, I'm Joe Heitzberg, the co-founder and CEO here at CrowdCow. Um, we are an online service, um, and we are unique in the world in that we're not trying to be a beef brand or a, or a farm-sounding name. We're, we're just a place where in one place you can connect to now well over 100 small farms by name, by location, learn everything about what they do, the breed, and get access to different qualities and different flavors of meats of all kinds. So we do beef, pork, and chicken. We call it craft meat when it's done by an individual who cared about the animal, their family, the community, the environment, in pursuit of better flavor, stuff that you can't get in stores or anywhere else. And we're going to let you get it directly from them and enjoy that on your own table. So, man, what made you want to start that? Like, what made you guys be like, listen, there, there's a need for this. There's there's a market. Because, uh, I mean, everything comes down to that. Like, if there's not a need and there's not yep. a market, it doesn't exist. Let's be honest, right? It's totally right. Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, it's it started with a single cow and a single friend who who, who was, came to work one day. And he was like, oh, dude, I'm so excited. I'm getting my cow on Friday. I was like, what are you talking about, your cow? And at the time, I had no idea that that someone would 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 ever go to a farm to go get the a beef directly from a farmer yeah and he was getting the whole cow so i was like back up so you're getting the beef from a whole cow you're like buying the whole cow <clears throat> tell me more he's like oh yeah and then he went on to describe like the farm is out on woodby island which is a beautiful island in seattle the kind of place you would go on like a three-day weekend you know um to go camping or be in air you know b&b or whatever and he was like and then he was like, the beef is just so good. It's, oh, oh, I can't wait. It's so delicious. And I was like, well, what do you mean? You can't like, you can't get beef like that at the grocery store or like, he's like, oh, it's way better than the grocery store. Like, what about like Whole Foods? He's like, way better. I'm like, really? What about like the steakhouse? You know, like, hey, what's that one down the street? He's like, oh my God, it's so much better. And I was just like, well, this is cool. Can I have some? And he's like, uh, no, well, it's like, no, you know, I got 500 pounds, but you got all these different cuts. And like, we did this round robin with a couple neighbors and doing it for seven years. 
you know, and like, I go, can you introduce the farm? He goes, no, they only slaughter once a year. And I'm like, wow, you're part of this club that I am not part of, that I really want to be part of now because I love beef. I love great meat. I care what I eat, what I put in my body. I care what I feed with my, to my family. I care, like friends are coming over, we're cooking. I care about ingredients. And you've got like, like in a moment, you know, it's like if, if I'm having a steak dinner with my buddies, I've, I'm spending more on the meat than anything else. I'm spending more on the meat than the beer, than the wine. But like I, and you're telling me I can't get this better beef cause you won't share it with me. And the farm only does it once a year. So I'm like, you're killing me. How do I do? Well, tell me what I would do. You know, it's like, well, you'd have to find the farm or get on their list. And then, you know, once it comes up, you get an email and then you drive a truck out there and you drive the truck. I'm like, Oh, this sounds like a pain. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I was talking about it with my my co-founder Ethan before we started the company, and Ethan was like, "Yeah," because he knew this guy Brendan. You know, he's like, "Yeah, Brendan's been doing it for years, but um, I'll never do that because Nicole, my my wife's a vegetarian." I'm like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> that makes sense." So, but he said, "You know, there really should be a website where you could see the farmer. Where you no, know, like, if you're going to eat something so central to your meal, so central to your health." And you love the flavor of it, which is a steak or chicken, pork, any of these natural proteins. You should know, like, wouldn't it be better if you knew the farm that raised it, where they were, what breed it was, if it was something special? Heritage breed pork, acorn finished. Or, like, you know, most people can't, most people don't know that much about their meats. But as we Very got true. into it, we realized there's there's these little terms you hear if you're, just a casual steak lover, like dry aging and wet aging, or Angus. Oh, yeah, Angus is a breed, or Wagyu. Wagyu's a, not a breed, actually, if you learn about it. But, but you hear these terms, and you realize there's something out there. There's, there's, there's differences, and there's, there's better beef in the steakhouse, maybe, than the grocery store. I don't know. Then when you go and meet the farmers, you learn, wow, there's actually, like, an incredible variety out there of breeders. It's kind of like going to the dog show. You've got these people doing all these exotic breeds and raising them in their certain way where they live based on their local um, environment or traditions or practices or, or what food is grown near them that they're feeding the animals or, you know, brewers mash from the brewery down the street that we put in there in the feed at the end. And then it gives it a certain flavor. And you're just like, Holy crap, this is amazing. So we, as we, as we got more into this world, you know, after at first it was just like, you asked me how, how we got into it. Yeah, it was just, sure. I wanted that. I wanted that better beef that my friend was bragging about. And then it was like we went to go get it and try to sell it online in this in this way where you could just be on a website, sitting on your couch, learn everything about it, have the connection to the farmer, get it delivered to your door. That was the original vision. As we went out to go get that beef, what we found was there's just this incredible variety out there that's also really exciting that we didn't know about that we wanted to keep exploring. And, and one thing led to another. Now we've got over 100 farms um, all handpicked. We spend time with every farmer. We'll, we meet a lot of farms and we work with very few. Um, we taste test the beef. We learn everything about their practices. We profile them on our website. We develop relationships with them because they're they're raising these animals and we're we're helping them get it slaughtered and butchered and we're helping to sell it online, obviously, and ship it across the country. And that's a lot of work. So we're very picky and choosy about who we um, work with. But as a result now, you know, almost four years in, we've got this incredible array of what I think are the world's best producers um, over a hundred just here in the United States, um, a handful in Japan and a couple in Tasmania. 
the vast majority of the beef we we sell and every day comes from American farms, though. Now, I mean, I think it's super cool what you guys are doing. I really do. And I think it's cool how you started because it was like, like that whole like, I want to be part of this club. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, don't tell me I can't be part of it. Like, I want to be like (laughs) exclusivity is such a it's such a selling point in in life. Um, but, uh, that's the other cool thing about you guys too, is like, there's not like, you don't just hit that beef. You don't just hit the, uh, the, the, the pork, the chicken, or you don't you know, it's not just like, I have to go to this one place to get this. And then I have to go over here to get my pork or whatever. Like it's all kind of centralized all on your website. And that's, that's what makes it super cool. Is that yeah, the customer we try to, we try to make it really easy and we have a lot of you know these are small batch producers exactly so they're seasonal you know guess what like the world is selling you beef as a commodity but it's not a commodity at least at these craft meat producers level because they're highly seasonal or they're raising breeds that or they're small quantities right and so they don't have it at 24 by 7 like you have at the grocery store yeah. um, that only comes from the super scale big ag people um and so, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun to go in there and say, like, oh, well, what's this? What are these? What is what is Long Story Farms or what's um, Alexander Pork got for me? And to try it and, yep. and experience the difference. It's really fun. Or to get something local or, um, you know, and then to have it be so good. Like, I was, I cooked chicken. It could have been like a commercial. My wife came up. So I was doing a live stream with a chicken farmer on my Instagram where I was like, I had one of the birds, whole birds, and I was going to show people how I cook it, which is kind of a funny uh, recipe because here's how I cook my whole chicken. I put salt on it and pepper and I rub it around and then I put it in the oven. Done. You know, I cook it for an hour and 10 minutes, take it out, let it rest. That, that's it. That's all you have to do when the ingredient tastes really good. And it's kind of a joke, but here I am st- live streaming with the chicken farmer and he's telling me how the bird was raised. Very importantly, Andrea. you know, and then I go on to cook it. It's funny. And then my uh, wife came home. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my wife comes 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 home uh, later. This is like three nights ago, or whatever. She comes home and she digs into the chicken and she eats it. And she goes, she literally she goes, "How did you cook this? You did a great job." I'm like, <laughs> like you walked right into that. I put salt and pepper on it and then I put it in the oven. You know, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> I did a, I did a lot. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you could do a lot. You could do a lot more than that. I mean, people probably sous vide whole chickens. I don't know what, but. When you start with – I mean chicken's a very special case too because in our country, unfortunately, it is so vertically integrated with the big ag, you know, these um, free-range chickens that never get to walk around. They're free-range in name because there's access to pasture, quote-unquote. But, you know, as a result, they have – you know, they've, they've, they've optimized for like chickens that have huge breasts because that breast sells so. higher. Right. And then they don't walk around. They're not – they don't optimize for flavor, nor are they rewarded for flavor. You know, they're rewarded for low price, a lot of protein, big breasts, you know. Yep. And and so over many years, it's vertically integrated, super scale, big ag, and chicken. But the sad thing is we've all forgotten what chicken tastes like. So we're just used to like, I don't know, if, I can imagine, if you can imagine right now eating a barbecued chicken breast, you kind of ex- know what that's going to taste like roughly. Then you eat a chicken that's been truly pasture raised and you're like what is this you know that's a whole, huh? whole different you're, you're, you're like you're so it's right incre- 
incredible. It's like a whole and, and, different flavor profile. Exactly. And then so that's why people ask the first question they'll have is, so how did you cook this? And it's like, slow down. It's not about how you cook it. You start with a better ingredient and yeah. it already is a world of difference. So. Yeah. Yes. And I, I will definitely agree with you on that. And, and one of the other things is like that, that people say like, how did you cook it? Well, yes, I still had to cook it properly. It, yes. It, you, of not, course. The flavor's not always coming from that. And I think so many right. people are used to getting a worse product and having to do more to it yeah. to make it or cooking it like dead spot on. And for somebody yeah. like – for somebody who cooks chickens all the time, that's going to be easy. I mean it's a yeah. simple protein to cook. I've cooked probably more chickens in my lifetime than most people and it, it, that's perfectly fine. But when, when somebody's like, oh my god, how did you cook this? It's like – I started with a better product and I just cooked it better. Yeah. You know, I, I found the I right way to cook it. I, I think one of the ways to think about the right way to cook it is like to think about seasoning, you know, are you seasoning to cover up something or are you seasoning to give flavor or are you seasoning to complement and bring out what's already there? And I think a lot of times when the food quality is low to begin with, <laughs> You have to season to cover up or to to make up for lost lost flavor. When the flavor is really good, then then a little bit of seasoning can bring out the natural umami that's already in the meat and things like this. And so then you can play around. But I, but I think a lot of modern cooking has lost that elegance because you know frankly you have to season just to make it edible for yeah. the really you know. <laughs> for some, I mean, there are chicken. I mean. That, I think that's why a lot of people say everything tastes like chicken, and we'll get off chicken in a little bit. Right. But it, it, it's why does everything taste like chicken? Um, because chicken's usually flavorless. It 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 takes on almost any flavor that you want to put into it. It's the same thing, very similar to turkey and stuff like that. Um, it takes on what seasoning you give it. And if you look at an American, an American. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to say American chicken versus like a chicken from somewhere else, but in, in that sense, if you look at your, your mass produced farmer chicken here, they're white. Why? Cause they get bleached, they get washed or the chicken breasts when we're looking at it. Right. If you get a real chicken, they're more yellowy. Oh yeah. And, and it's well, different. If, I, if, if you get like a lot of some of our farms, you know, the, the cattle ranches there, they also grow veggies. They have maybe chickens. They do whatever on the side, you know, because they got a big ranch house and it's an easy thing to do. And I, I remember the first time I saw one of our ranches that had a chicken coop you know, going on. And I went over there um, and I, I was like, how many different breeds of chicken are here? I was like, one, two, three, four, five. There were like 15 different breeds of chicken. They have these really crazy looking ones with all these different colors and like it was really eye-opening for me at the time, right? Because I didn't know anything about it. But like, there's not even a single thing called a chicken. There are many breeds of chicken, and, and that the deal with breed is like, it animals metabolize their food differently, and metabolizing food means creating muscle and fat, and that's where flavor is. And if you do that differently, you will create different flavors. And so, people, people, when I say this, sometimes people go like, "Oh, you're crazy." I go like, "What about wine and beer?" Well, 
a chicken is a lot more complex than a grape. Yeah. That that I mean, yeah, you're a hundred percent correct there. <laughs> and that's before you've even kind of made the wine, you know. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things involved that will affect flavor. So for like for me, it's just it's really fun. I've definitely become a, I'm still becoming a beef nerd, but I'm definitely become a big beef nerd. And I'm also, but by the way, don't get me wrong, I also geek on the cooking. I'm I'm less advanced on that. I'm I'm way more advanced than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the population when it comes to the the raw, the raw good, the, the beef, pork, and chicken, because we're out there every day with farmers raising all these great breeds in different ways, and and so I think we're we're crowd cow is number one in the world, period for that because we've aggregated it all in one place, made it accessible. We talk about it all the time, and then on the cooking side, we kind of say like start with letting it speak for itself, season lightly, see what you think, and then I've only personally just recently started to get on the cooking side. Like I really want to get different charcoals going and I want to get, I was in Texas recently doing, um, learning some offset smoking stuff at La Barbecue and Kreitz's and all these guys. I'm like just in awe of like the tradition and the technique. And it was, you know, for me, I know there's a whole nother world to explore on that side too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, what I would love to get to get into with you because I think you're you're one of the people I could probably talk to about this and and you will have way too much fun. So uh, I'm really excited <laughs> about this next part. Is I want I think what's getting really big right now is the is the wagyu versus American or Japanese wagyu versus American wagyu. What do you think are the biggest differences? What are some things that people should be wary of when purchasing? Because I think I think. Um, sure. uh, Educating the consumer is super important, and I think that's something you guys yep. do really. You, it, it's something you guys believe in, and it's something you guys do really, really yeah. well. Yeah, thank you. I, it's, it's a great topic because it's really having a moment. It's definitely coming into vogue. We see that uh, right now, um, just a lot. Both the Japanese stuff from Japan as well as American stuff. Um, I guess I should start by kind of saying, like, somewhat in a stroke of luck because we started the company working with. American farmers and, and getting just the idea of a single cow and bringing that online to meet the farmer and all that. And then, of course, Wog is this thing, and people started asking us about it. It just so happens when I was in college, I was a foreign exchange student in Japan, and I actually lived on a farm in a in Hokkaido. On my 20th birthday, we actually roasted an entire Wagyu steer. So <laughs> at the time, I didn't really appreciate how special that was to have experienced and, 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 and been around. But, but coming back to, to crowd cow, when people started asking, you know, Hey, will you ever have Kobe beef or this or that? You know, we, we, I definitely thought like, well, geez, I'll dust off my Japanese and head over there and start making phone calls. So, you know, long story short, we have today, I think, um, the, certainly the most diverse selection of Wagyu all in one place anywhere, because we not only carry, you know, the A5 Wagyu from Kagoshima, which was the highest uh, ranking in the Wagyu Olympics last time, highest average score across across the competitive categories from that region, as well as we have olive-fed Wagyu from Kagawa, which had never been exported before when we got it. And then we've got purebred and full-blood Wagyu from American farms in both in Texas and in Washington, which are in, in one in Oregon, which, is, which means... 100% by DNA, uh, Kuroge Washu, the, the one breed of Wagyu that really is special in terms of the marbling. And then we have a whole bunch of ranches that do 
uh, crossbreeding of Wagyu and Angus. And so it's very um, curated collection of different Wagyu providers down to the level of the farmer. Like we've got one of the farms in Texas, actually, uh, their bull, their Wagyu bull won the Houston cattle show last year for the Wagyu category. And the, the father of that bull, the grand bull, I guess, was actually <laughs> was sold back to Japan. So that's how good the genetics were. Um, so that's five-star Wagyu in, in Texas, which is one of our farms. So we have, I'm very proud of the work that we've done to get Wagyu like, because when we started, and for me too, it was confusing. You know, you read about, and it's very true, the Wagyu conspiracy, the fake Wagyu, fake Kobe beef. And it's very true. And I, and I, I went to source materials like the guys who originally imported the DNA. We got Pacific Rogue Wagyu, our breeder in Oregon. Well, they were a breeder for like their whole history until just recently they started selling it as meat. But they had the um, sixth ever uh, steer to be born in America that was Wagyu from Japan. It's incredible history dating back to the origins of the breed in America. And then, of course, uh, directly in Japan. So let me break it down for you really quick just for people who are listening. Yeah, please, word, please keep going. Yeah. The word Wagyu just is a Japanese term meaning – it literally means um, Japanese cow. <laughs> That's literally the word, Japanese cow. And so there are uh, four breeds of cow in Japan that are native to Japan, four breeds. Of those four breeds, one is special. It's called the Kuroge Washu or Kuroge. Some people call it the black cow in English, but the Kuroge means black. So Kuroge Wagyu, black cow. And uh, there's another, I just mentioned really briefly, there's another breed called Akage. And you'll see that, Akaushi. You'll see that in America because when the DNA was exported from Japan, it's actually banned from export now that the DNA is. But when, okay. it was originally expo- when it was originally exported from Japan, they actually brought over more than just the Kroge. They brought over the Akaushi. And I don't know if they brought over the other two as well. But there's a lot of Akaushi breeders in America that are, are saying, like, look, we've got Wagyu, and it's wonderful. It's this Japanese amazing beef, Akaushi. And I have no problem against any beef. I just have a beef with not being transparent or being uh, using what I call the beef marketing shenanigans. And when you say, ah, I've got Akaushi. Oh, give us one second, guys. So as, as we were talking about you, uh, we were talking about yeah. um, Wagyu, what it means. Exactly. I can go back. I can go back. To, let me just quickly go back to the beginning of that section and make it perfect, anyways. But okay, cool. So let me break it down for you, like Wagyu, what it is. Wagyu, the word just means Japanese cow, literally. And Wagyu in Japan, there are four breeds of cow that are native to Japan. <laughs> so of these, of these four breeds native to Japan. One of them is special, and it's called the kuroge washu, or black-haired cow. Some people call it kuroge, just kuroge. Some people call it uh, black cow. Uh, Tajima is the 99.9% of the, the, the DNA of kuroge is called also called Tajima, so it's basically a synonym. If you see Tajima beef or you see kuroge, uh, it's all the same stuff. It's that very special beef, the one breed of the four that's, that's, that creates this crazy marbling on the inside. So most livestock, you know, when it eats food and it, and it gets fat, the fat tends to go on the outside like a fat cap. Yep. The Kroge, the Kroge Washu breed of cattle native to Japan 
is unique in like the livestock kingdom because it has a genetic aberration which makes it metabolize its food to create the fat interspersed inside the muscle in that crazy spiderweb fine grain muscle you know uh, yeah. marbling that you see with that's so that that has made it so famous that's sexy so that's, basically yes it's really gorgeous <laughs> it's incredible and then they have in japan they're quality control obsessed like they did with electronics and everything else same with cattle they have this intense training program it's three years for a person to become a, a certified raider and they have an intense rating system with all these levels and the one thing you really need to know is that a5 is the highest grade you can achieve on the japanese scale uh, in terms of beef marbling quality, um, and it also involves the yield quality, which is something that really only a farmer would care about. But but it's A5 is also the highest uh, marbling scores you can get. And then A4 is really dang high, too. I mentioned that because the other term that, of course, everyone knows is Kobe beef. Yep. I'll break that down for you really quick, too. Kobe beef is a brand name. So it'd be like Nike is a brand name. It's the easiest way to understand it. So... To be Kobe beef, you have to be this one special breed, the Kuroge Washu, and you have to rate out at at least A4 or A5 levels. And that steer had to have been born and raised and slaughtered in Hyogo Prefecture, which is where Kobe is. Which it, it's kind of almost like the champagne. champagne. Yeah. Exactly. It is, it is exactly like that. And it's a controlled... Uh, organization that you buy into. So not only does your farm have to be there and your animal is born there and it's of that breed and has to rate out, you have to pay into the membership and the slaughterhouse has to pay in and the restaurant has to pay in. Everybody has to pay in. And then if all that happens, everything I mentioned, then you can call it Kobe beef. Um, so you could have like, you could have a, like, in fact, I went there, I went to Hyogo Prefecture on my first trip and I, where, uh, Awaji Island, where 70% of all the Kobe beef actually comes from. And I went to a slaughterhouse. I went to an auction, and I was talking to the farmers and the guys. And uh, I had a, the farmer who won the best of show that day at the auction. His actual farm produces cattle that, you know, one will go and become Kobe beef, and the next one will just become Awaji beef, uh, even if they're both rated A5, the very highest, or A4. Um, and I said, why? He's like, well, sometimes I send it to that slaughterhouse. Sometimes I send it to this other one. I go, oh, that's interesting. So it's really a, a more of a cooperative association for marketing purposes to get that label, the brand name Kobe beef. And for that, they can charge a lot more money. But in terms of the quality of the product, you know, knowing the farmer, knowing the breed, knowing the rating, you know, you can find some. And, and in fact, you know, within Japan, Kobe beef is just one brand name. There are 300 plus brand names of beef in japan if you can imagine it's like a totally foreign concept because in america there's none of this it's just a commodity like we're still in the world of like wonder bread or like you know folgers coffee before starbucks yeah in, J in japan it's like the 300 brands you can go from one region to the next and you can ask chefs and waitresses and whoever you can be like so tell me about this region's beef and they'll tell you about it and you'll say well how is it different from kobe beef and they'll tell you why and they'll tell you proudly why it's better or how it's different like there's an awareness and so, you know, last year, um, 2017, you know, they have a they have state, you know, city, state and regional and countrywide competitions and meetups for best of show slaughter, you know, reading, uh, you know, hanging carcass stuff like cattle show, basically. Right. Yep. And, and the national one happens once every five years. 
in Japan, and it just happened this past year. Um, beef from Kagoshima, which is further south, got the highest average score across the 12 competitive categories. So you could cut, and it was funny because when I was in Awaji in Hyogo, where Kobe beef comes from, and I was saying, well, where are the other regions that are good that I should go to? And they all said, go to Kagoshima. They're really kicking ass. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Kagoshima. <laughs> and they also told me about olive beef. It's like, well, I said, tell me something interesting. Like, what are some interesting beef, beef in the types in the country? Something exotic, you know? And they said, well, there's this shinshugyu where they feed them apples and it does a certain thing to the meat. And there's this olive-fed stuff in Kagawa. And the guys near Osaka, they feed them the, the sakura cherry stuff. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I want to meet all these guys. So I ended up um, going to Kagawa and meeting this this old man who started feeding his cattle the olive peels, and I just I thought it was it was a and the beef was incredible. So now, what does that very, do? What, what does the olive peels do to the beef? It does so it doesn't make it taste like olives, but it does impart the antioxidants of the olives. So you can imagine like what it what the Japanese actually measure this, and it's one of the there's a there's a best fat category if you can believe that in the. Uh, competitions in japan and and one way that you can win the best fat category is by having the most oleic acid content in your in your the fat of your steak so what okay so oleic acid is basically a omega fatty acid that's good for your arteries that's why the japanese actually like it because it's healthy and it also makes it taste like uh, like an umami flavor so that which Japanese also obsess about umami flavor. So you've got right, the flavors that you your tongue recognizes: salty, sweet, bitter, sour, yep. and umami. Umami is the one you can't quite put your finger on, but it matters. And so oleic acid content is much higher in this olive wagyu, which boosts this umami flavor, and it's and it, blo- it boosts the kind of art, 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 the heart's artery health. Uh, it's, it's good for anti-inflammation of the arteries and anti. Uh, artery clogging and so forth. It's good for your arteries, good for your circulation, your blood flow. So that that's that's what makes it special. In terms of taste, like I'll tell people this: like so if you have it side by side, and you have a very developed palate for beef, which most people don't, but <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I've been in Japan enough, like eating wagyu five times a day for a week straight enough times that I do now. But and I would say it like this: if you ever take like a spoonful of virgin olive oil and just swallow it and you get kind of that breathy aftertaste. Yep. You get, you get that sensation a little bit with the, with the olive wagyu. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very, very and interesting. It, and it's definitely like the, oh, the other thing the oleic acid does that some people say is it the melting point of the fat will be more towards like room temperature. So you're really talking about a soft mouthfeel as well. If you get a really good a five or a four cut of it, It'll just and you sear it, you know, and it'll it'll melt in your mouth. Yeah, and it's a quick sear. It's not a yeah. I think Super that, hot. You want to go really hot. I think that's one of the things that most people don't understand is that better beef cooks differently. And this this will go back to uh, we're, we're a barbecue podcast, so we all we we cook you know yeah. we cook briskets, we cook you know shoulders and all that stuff. But th- what do, what people are trying to do is they're still trying to take those wagyu briskets as long as a little bit hotter or faster cook. Um, mm. Wagyu briskets are going to cook faster because the fat content is so high in them; they're going to melt faster. You know what I mean? Like the fat melts a little bit at a lower temperature. So yeah. 
definitely. You can overcook a Wagyu brisket pretty quickly. Yeah. So I just got back from Austin. And so first of all, like one of the things is like almost all of the quote Wagyu brisket sold in America online or anywhere is actually Wagyu cross Angus. So yes. it's going to be like, I, I call a Wagyu cross Angus where it's got some Wagyu DNA, the Kroge plus Angus. It's going to taste like Angus, but it might be like elevated, like prime, like, like a lot more marbling, but you won't have the, like the difference. A lot of people ask, what's the difference between purebred Wagyu or full blood Wagyu or Japanese Wagyu and like everything else. The crossbreed stuff to me tastes like Angus. I've done many tasting flights when you get over to the 100% Wagyu from Japan or, or American farms, you, you get this sweetness to the flavor. So that's one thing to know in terms of the differences. Um, but yeah, Wagyu, when, you, when you're talking Wagyu brisket, almost like all of it is, uh, is Wagyu cross Angus. The reason I hesitate there is because we just started selling A5 Wagyu brisket from Japan. And I know this because I was unable to find it online anywhere. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. So I got some and I gave it to some friends who were customers who were doing stuff with brisket with our other meat. And I was like, hey, will you take this A5 brisket and like do your Texas thing to it and just tell me if it works? Because I'm kind of, I don't know what would happen. Would it fall apart, you know? And they were like, okay, sure. So then we um, we followed up. I was in Austin two weeks ago. We went to uh, Kreitz's old school, you know, barbecue in yep. Lockhart. And, we went, Lock, and then we went to Law Barbecue in Austin, which is like, what a lot of people will say is like the most consistently best uh, brisket in Austin. They were great. We hung out with the owners and we brought them A5 brisket from Kogoshima and they walked around it. Like imagine the piece of meat on the table and just like the pit master and the owner, just like looking at the beef and touching it and talking about it for like probably got half an hour. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, we're throwing it in. We're going to do it low and slow. We're gonna, you know, and they did it for an overnight low and slow and it was it was wonderful but i'll tell you i am not a offset smoker brisket master at all you know leave it to the experts but the things i picked up on that were interesting were um first of all they were eating the fat raw <laughs> they were like just just playing with it in their hands like wow look at it melt and then they were eating it like wow this is good they're eating it raw which is funny and then when it came off and we tri we uh, cut it up they were they were eating the fat that was hanging on the brisket pieces oh, saying yeah, like, so I, good. we wouldn't normally eat this. We would normally kind of trim that away, but this is so good. And then we were taking the, when we did trim the brisket at the beginning too, and we took the trim and we put it in a cast, uh, um, a cast iron on top of the hot box and just let them caramelize and blacken. And, you know, it was, and then we were just eating those crispy fat bits and it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. So now we've, we've kind of covered beef pretty, pretty well. I want to get into heritage <laughs> pork. I think that's something that a yeah. lot of people don't understand. It's almost kind of like the chicken breeds, but the heritage yeah. pork I think is very difficult for most people to understand because there's not really a pork rating in the United States. You know what I mean? No. <clears throat> no. And I think, I think that's the one thing beef brands did well is – they created a rating for people to understand. And and I think people still don't fully understand them, but they're at least they have some kind of guidelines where they can kind of back up what they're saying, you know what I mean? Where it's like, oh he he at least has a chart. Where I think like there's not much of that for when we get into pork. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I, th I think um, 
what we find for for one thing is like um and how you raise them and what you feed them matters a lot i think when you find like those family farms that are doing it out of tradition and to great create great tasting food um and then when you especially when you get into the heritage breeds you get into like feed programs that involve like like hazelnuts or different locally grown ingredients just the flavor difference between like the grocery store stuff like i think of pork as like I want some like my pre crowd cow, you know, world would be like, all right, I want some uh, protein. I uh, nah, this recipe wouldn't be good for ground beef, chicken, just bland. Yeah, I'll try pork once in a while, sure. You know, bring it home, do a pork chop, and smother it with something, and like, yeah, it's good, you know. Whereas with with this pork, it's like, I, okay, I went to went to this restaurant um, in Seattle called. Um, Walrus and Carpenter. It's one of the like kind of shishi, really good places. With kind of a owned by a chef that has a really good reputation. The executive chef there um, was in one day. We went over before the restaurant opened because he had been sourcing pork from this farm um, that we source from too. Now, and it was when we first introduced pork. This really great local producer does a heritage breed, great feed program, delicious, and he always used. So we wanted to go over there and have him talk to us about why. He source goes to the trouble to source from this farm versus just the the food suppliers, you know, that, that service restaurant industry, right? He went to the trouble to do that as a chef. So, and he was like, well, it just tastes better. And but he also likes to break down the whole animal, you know, from from first principles. And but um, at the end, you know, he finally said the words that we were all kind of hoping he would say, which is like, do you want me to cook some? You're like, yeah. <laughs> and he all he did was take like a pork chop and he put it in a cast iron pan with salt and pepper, and he just fried it up and then that was it and it was like it was like yeah you just just let the meat speak for itself this is a great cut and it just is delicious and it, i think it's that's that's something you really need to understand with pork for some reason like chicken and it's more so than beef to be honest the delta between sort of everything available to you as a consumer and everything coming off of small farms is like Night and day. Like, this should be another name besides pork. It doesn't taste anything like grocery store pork. It's like it's a completely different meal. I think that is a big thing. Because um, I think that's one of those things where we got – we just got a heritage breed uh, – we got heritage breed, uh, heritage breed pork – and it it is just the marble. There's marbling through it. it it's a, it's an amazing amazing cut. It it tastes it just tastes differently. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we got sausages out of it too, and it's like, dude, mm. these sausages are so much better. Oh yeah, it's night and day. It's I had a whole different game. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's just it's 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 like what have I been missing out on my life? Kind of like you asked about ratings. It actually comes down to like. I spend a fair amount of my time learning about the industry by meeting people and talking. It's like one of the sad things about the rating thing is, um, you know, you have to pay a rater to stand there. Right. And the economics of that don't work at the small farm level. No, they don't. And so, you know, whether or not someone's ever tried to do that with pork or not, um, it exists in beef for giant beef where they're slaughtering hundreds an hour, but it doesn't slaughter, you know, it doesn't when they're doing, six in a day you know it doesn't make sense so that's the primary reason why you don't get that usda rating but like my point of view 
having been a consumer, getting, getting into this world and being the producers is like, it doesn't matter because there's a lot more to it than that USDA rating. And, and any of these labels ultimately let you down when you really look into what they mean. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's one of the hard things is, is a lot of it is marketing. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. I mean, you could sit like dry aging versus wet aging. You know, we first got into that, of course, we're like, well, what is it? How does it work? Show us how you do it. And what we learned was sort of like, well, dry aging is this artisanal thing, you know, where you've got craftsmen really who perfecting it and they're doing it different ways and, you know, temperature controlled environments and all this and experimenting with extreme dry aging. Like, okay, well, that's the, that's the, the real one, you know, and then what's wet aging? Well, wet aging is when, you know, Fresh after slaughter, they bag it up in a sealed thing and they put um, carbon monoxide in there too to make sure the red stay, the red color stays and so they can ship it fresh for many more days to the grocery store to then have it still be looking good to sell to you. And it's like, okay, let's call that wet aging because we have to do it anyways and that sounds kind of sexy and the consumers understand that term dry aging. So we get some extra bonus credit points for that if we call it wet aging. Call what we do wet aging. But then you look into it and there's other people who will argue, they'll argue all day long. No, no, no. Wet aging makes a difference. It will tenderize it. We trip, we tested it, X, Y, Z. So it's like and, and then you'll also meet people who be like, well, dry aging actually started because you know you didn't have refrigeration and freezers and you had to transport it. And as it transported, it dried out a little bit and got kind of mildewy on the outside. And so you had to trim off that stuff. You were losing some yield. You were losing some water weight. Give it a fancy name. Charge a little more money. So it's, <laughs> it, all, it is a weird interplay with marketing. Well, I mean, they do. You do definitely charge a lot more money for your dry aged steaks. Um, do I think they taste differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think they get a little. Obviously, from the 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 process that it is, it does taste differently. And I think that's what consumers don't understand. Like the dry aging versus wet aging. Wet aging is something they kind of have to do. Um, yeah. And then the, the, the other big thing is like a lot of people are like, Oh, the red is blood. No, not, it's no, not. it's yeah. It's like, I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> no, it's just juice. Um, it actually is a pretty healthy juice as a matter of fact. But um, you, you, you would say uh, the simplest way to say it is this. Like with dry aging, you're giving up water. It evaporates the water yep. out, and it sort of starts to um, chemically alter the meat to make it more tender. It concentrates flavors. If you go to extreme dry aging, it keeps a funky flavor, like cheesy, like a cheese almost. Like yep. it's a delicacy now. It, that that flavor, you start, it's addictive. It's really wonderful. But at the end of the day, like wet aging is as fresh as possible. Keep that water in because I want to sell you water. I'm at the grocery store. So a pound of ground beef at the grocery store contains a lot of water in it. That's why when you put it in your pan, all that water sweats out, you drain it out. You paid for that water. You paid 10 bucks a pound for that water. Now the dry aged ground beef, one pound of it has a lot more meat in it because the water's gone. It evaporated with the dry aging process. So like net net, you know, 10 bucks a pound dry aged ground beef and 10 bucks a pound wet aged ground beef, which one's a better deal? Hands down, the dry age one, just on a money basis, you know, for the weight. But the flavors, like, knock your socks off. Yeah, but now, see, I'm not a big believer in buying ground beef in general. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I much I much rather grind my own, man. Yeah, well, that's – you're on the 
leading, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a, what do they call it? Like, early, like a leading, you know, a leading early user, adapter. Early, like a, early adopter, whatever. You're like an ex- expert, you know, semi-pro. Like, I think most people at home, they, you know, who love a good burger and want to do a grill, grill out with their friends are not going like, to grind it, but they would like a better burger. But you that's know? how you get the better burger. <laughs> yeah. Fucking yeah, grind sure. it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> get a better cut of meat and grind it. Yeah, and learn yeah. what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. And I think I'll that's, that's, that's awesome. kind of what you guys are doing is is you're trying to um, explain to consumers why it matters. Because realistically, I think a lot of – some people buy Wagyu or some people buy Prime because they want to show off that they're going to buy the most expensive thing that you can. But they yeah. don't necessarily know why they're doing it. No, it's, it's an easy starting point. Everybody's looking for the easy button, you know, and, and like, I've, as I've gotten more, and a lot of people ask us, you know, well, what's the difference between A4 Wagyu and A5? I'll go like, well, honestly, like when I was in Japan, like the chefs are eating A4 when it's their choice because it has more of a meaty flavor, but it's just as tender and it's more enjoyable. So like, but everybody in America wants the best of the best and the highest of this and that. Of and I think, I think it's a, it's a fine place to start. You know, when you're first developing your preferences and your palate, go for the best, go for, or go for the highest or go for the most extreme thing and then start to try all the others. Important thing is just to try all the others and, and start to develop your own personal preference over time. Which most um, people don't. They should, though. If they care about food, it's like you have to decide first. Are you li- do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Yeah, that is a big one. You know, not everyone makes that right choice there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes you just got to eat to live. <laughs> you know, those days that get crazy busy, sometimes you just have to. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't judge. <laughs> and we can't all be running around on Wagyu farms all That's day true. long. That's true. We, we don't all have That's that true. beautiful, beautiful job but I, that we That's all – That now all of us that are listening to this are super wanting it. Uh, but it, it's so cool how you guys are bringing this all together <laughs> – and it's just so cool how you guys are bringing this to the market and you're bringing it uh, for consumers. You're not, you know, you're, you're there for them. Like there you guys, you guys really, you, you really are there for them. And I think that's super cool. Now, if somebody wants to use CrowdCow, can you kind of walk us through maybe a way that like, how did they get introduced to like how do they start how do they start using it? How do you start using it? It's really simple. I mean, we are just a you know, a website that you can go and explore, you know, based on what seasonal offerings or what farms we're featuring at the time. So we always have, you know, a lot of different kinds of beef to choose from, pork and chicken. And you can go learn everything about the farm, where they are, you can find local options if that's your thing, you can find exotic things. You can, you, we try to package things up to be easy so you can get, you know, there's a breakfast share with different breakfast sausages and things. There's stuff for people who like to grill. You can buy briskets, you can buy a la carte, whatever you, whatever you need. And we have hopefully explained the difference between different cuts as you go, as you go, you know, nose to tail, you know, we're getting into different cuts that maybe you're not as familiar with the grocery store, but we're going to introduce and explain those in a way that makes it easy to try them if you want to. And everything will come paired with a recipe. And uh, we make it as easy as possible. I mean, that's awesome. You're doing half the work for them. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It is. We make it. We make it fun. And I mean, if you want to go to crowdcow.com/slash/men meats, we have a 
discomfort first order. Boom. That's awesome. For you. So if you go, if you go to that, um, you you will you'll you'll save some money and uh, once you, go to the website hungry i recommend <laughs> <laughs> um it, it i it just i've played around on the website a couple times I, I love it it's it's very easy to to navigate it's not a difficult website which i think some people get uh discouraged when you see difficult things to navigate through but you, you guys you guys have a very very clean website it's very 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 um simple to navigate it it has beautiful photographs on it thank you it yeah all original to... from, all original from the farms and from the meat we're selling you know we one of the shenanigans in the world that you have to be aware of is like everybody has got stock art photography of open pastures and da 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 but in this country uh, you're not required to even tell what tell the consumer what country the, the, the product came from you're literally not required and so when people say grass-fed, grass-finished, just remember all the big ag people are, are, are feeding grass pellets now in feedlots. And, and, you know, we're just trying to say, like, you should know the name of the farm that raised the meat you're eating. The meat's important enough. You should know that. Yeah, and I, I think that's difficult for most people. Um, we're, trying to make it, we're trying to make it easy for everyone. Yeah, which is awesome. <laughs> that hey, I'm 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 on board. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. it, it it is just it's very it's very I think it's very difficult for some people to wrap their brains around that you would that somebody would really want to know that much. Yeah, I mean the reason you should know where your food comes from is because you know that like in your meal the meat was the most expensive thing you bought. True. And don't you want don't you want to know your dollars went to a person who cared about the animal and the environment and yep. their own family and community. And the yeah. only way to do that is to have a direct connection to the producer that incentivizes and rewards their work directly. Because what happens in the commodity system is the opposite. They hide behind misdirection labels, stock art photography, and vague and ambiguous claims. And so that's why you get, like I said, grass-fed beef is healthier and like manufactured grass pellets fed in a feedlot, imported from overseas. Meanwhile – Stock art photography of a open pasture, da da da, right? It's yeah. kind of crazy what happens if you don't know the farm. Now, with the grading in the United States right now, I know you touched upon it a little bit earlier. Um, if you had to break it down for a consumer who's looking to purchase, what are some things that they should be looking for? What are some things that um, they should stay away from if there's any uh, – like what's your – like through the grading system if, they, if they're going that route? Yeah. I mean if you're going like – like for example, if you're like I want a USDA prime like thing, you can't find that from independent farms. That's only a big ag that, that produces that product. So if you're going to the independent farm route, be a crowd cow or a farmer's market or wherever, then I would look for – I would look for a wagyu. But again, make sure it's kuroge washu, that one breed, not the other three. And I would – if you're getting crossbreed, Wagyu Angus, don't overpay. Like a lot of people out there are selling quote unquote Wagyu crossbreed. They're using Japanese farm sounding names and they're using Japanese characters on the labels to sell it to you. Don't fall for that and don't overpay. Make sure you know what you're getting. Um, and if you want to go like super, you know, prime and above, like that's your thing you want, I'd go for the purebred or full blood or Japanese Wagyu. And now, what would you consider overpaying if you had to say per pound? 
close to. You don't have to go exactly. Or what? what uh, you know what I mean? Like, what's a, what's yeah, a fair? What's fair markets? It depends on the cut. It depends a little bit on the season, and it of depends course. on the you know. But I would say like New York steak or a ribeye, a cut like crossbreed. It depends. Like a crossbreed, a lot of like wagyu, quote unquote. It's not regulated either, so you go like wagyu, and it's like crossbreed with the percentage of caroga is like minuscule. But um, so you're looking at it, and you've got a fairly well marbled thing that's like at a prime level or above. Then I would expect to pay a prime USDA prime type of price for that. I wouldn't pay much above that. Okay. Uh, now, if you're getting to like full blood, now you're getting the sweet flavor, the umami flavor of that breed, and you're getting way more marbled beef, then you're going to pay, you know, for a pound, you could pay 60, 70 bucks, get in that range easily. Sounds fantastic. It's just always, it's, it always helps the consumer. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. And it's, that's kind of how it is. And I, that I love sure. kind of educating the consumer and doing that and, and kind of putting all of it together. I think it's a very important thing. Yeah, for sure. So man, I want to say thank you so much for coming on our podcast, hanging out with us, chatting, just all different types of beef, chicken, pork, and breaking all that down. I think, I think this is probably one of the most educational ones we've done in, in a little bit. And I, I had way too much fun and, um, <laughs> It, it, it was such an easy flowing conversation, which is what I love. So if you can do me a favor, can you tell everyone where they can follow the journey online from Instagram to all social medias? Obviously yeah, it's crodcod.com. Sure. Uh, that's, that, that's where they want to go first, but everywhere else for, yeah. for all the other stuff. Yeah. Head to crodcod.com slash man meets. If you want a discount, uh, thank you very much for having me Absolutely. on social. You could find us at crowdcow on Instagram. I would say that's probably the best social place. You know, we post a lot of fun footage. We do a lot of great Instagram stories when whatever we're visiting with chefs or with farms. Um, it's a lot of fun. We do a lot of fun little live streams and cooking things. I did a Koji extreme dry age simulation thing the other day. It's a lot of fun. So I hit us up on Instagram. We also have a Facebook feed, of course, and a little bit on Twitter, but, um, yeah, hit us up. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, we had a great time, so make sure everyone checks them out. Look up their beautiful meat. You guys, you ship nationwide, correct? Nationwide, yeah. Fantastic. So they do ship nationwide. Make it super simple. Get all your badass meat there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was awesome.